Something I was always curious about when I was teaching in a college classroom was the idea of the flipped classroom, but I didn't teach long enough or the right kind of course to really implement it. Still, I think in today's changing landscape for cohort-based courses, which sales have reportedly been on the decline for, I believe that the flipped classroom model is the perfect answer to how to structure cohort-based courses moving forward. And that's what we are going to talk about today. I'm really excited for this solo episode where we are going to talk about how to not bore your students in the classroom or in a cohort, how to leverage the flipped classroom, but how a lot of teachers were doing it wrong, and then how you can apply the flipped classroom to the cohort Based course model. Now, in the pro show, I'm going to be talking about the LinkedIn Learning course I just finished recording, generating or generative AI for podcasters, as well as how I'm using Notion, my ongoing battle with the very popular note taking or maybe database app. So we'll see how that goes for all of the show notes and to sign up for the pro show. If you want ad free extended episodes of this podcast, you can head over to how I built it slash three, three, two. That's how I built it slash three, three, two. Now, if you're listening in Apple podcasts, I am so very few reviews away from 100 that if you enjoy this show or you hate it, I guess, Leave me a rating and review. I would deeply appreciate it. I'll even read it on the show. Okay, so let's get into the intro and then the episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps busy solopreneurs and creators grow their business without spending too much time on it. I'm your host, Joe Casabona, and each week I bring you interviews and case studies on how to build a better business through smarter processes, time management, and effective content creation. It's like getting free coaching calls from successful solopreneurs. By the end of each episode, you'll have one to three takeaways you can implement today to stop spending time in your business and more time on your business or with your friends, your family, reading, or however you choose to spend your free time. So longtime listeners of the show will know that I used to teach in the classroom at the University of Scranton. It was one of my favorite jobs. I loved connecting with the students, and I was teaching a few courses by the end of my tenure there. Uh, computer science, programming 101, web development. But one of my favorite courses to teach was computer literacy. Every student, every freshman had to take this course. And to be honest, it was a little arcane. Uh, It was basically how to use a computer. It was originally uh, invented, I'm going to say, by the computer science department in the Uh, early to mid 90s. And so uh, it was a a little bit outdated. And now other professors in the department treated this class like it was on autopilot. And actually one said to me, uh, as they were giving me uh, an even bigger course load, well, complete I mean, that's just on autopilot for you, right? Uh, And, and I mean, it wasn't. It's a computer class. Some of the things that we taught 
1998 were not applicable in 2016. And so I was constantly evolving that class. And while it was mostly informational, we weren't really working through problems. I loved the idea of a a more interactive class. And so we would do group discussions where we talked about things like uh, prosthetics and implants, like uh, technical implants, self-driving cars. One of the things I would have my students do is a report on some emerging technology or some sort of interesting uh, bit of technology that was coming out. And uh, one covered the Luke arm, which is named after Star Wars, which I thought was really cool. One covered designer babies, uh, which we mentioned a little bit on episode 330 with uh, Cody Sheehy. So that was the first time I had heard about this idea that you could design your baby. And one student talked about the flipped classroom. So uh, let's define what a flipped classroom is and why I liked the idea. So uh, according to Google Bard, I asked Google Bard, uh, I mean, I already knew, but I wanted a formal definition, right? Uh, a flipped classroom is a type of blended learning where students learn new content at home and practice working through it at school. In a flipped classroom, students watch lectures or complete readings at home and then spend class time working on problem solving and other active learning experiences. The goal of the flipped classroom is to engage students and help them learn more. So I loved this idea because talking at somebody for 50 minutes is not going to help them, right? There's there's some pyramid, I wish I had it in front of me now, uh, where it's like hearing something is like, is like 5% retention and like seeing something is 10% retention and then like doing something, uh, maybe it's like 10 and 25% or something like that. Doing something is like 70% retention and teaching something is 90% retention. So those numbers are probably loose, uh, but you get the idea, right? The more you engage with the thing you're learning, the more likely it is to stick. This is why I design all of my courses to be learn by doing courses. So I loved this idea because this was very learned by doing. But my students who had experienced the flipped classroom either in high school or in other college courses hated it because the teachers were abusing this model. And honestly, it's all about the implementation. So we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about how teachers could possibly be abusing this flipped classroom model. I've been working on a new website for my LLC, Good House Media, and decided to give Hostinger a try. They've sponsored before, and at three bucks a month, it's kind of a no-brainer. So it was a bit of serendipity when they reached out to sponsor again. I mean, they're one of the hosting companies I tend to recommend anyway. Now, I've been creating websites for years, but for this, I wanted something that was as easy as possible, and Hostinger did not disappoint. They recently launched an AI website builder, which I played around with, and it's wild. You answer three questions, and it generates a full website with copy and images in like 30 seconds. 
then you can customize it with their drag and drop tools. And they have something similar for WordPress, which as you probably know, I love. But probably the best part is how much you get that most hosting companies charge you extra for. At just three bucks a month, you get unlimited bandwidth, a free domain, and a hundred websites, which is probably more than I'll need. Probably. If you're interested, you can head over to hostinger.com build to get an extra 10% off, plus two months free with the promo code build. Plus, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that link is hostinger.com build and code build for 10% off and two months free. Look, you're listening to this show because you're a creator or solopreneur and you need to grow your business. That goes hand in hand with building your authority. And there are few things that build your authority faster than being a published author. As a five times published author, I know. You're likely already creating content to help you achieve this goal writing blog posts, creating videos, maybe even hosting a podcast? A book is the best way to get your content off the airwaves and into the hands of your fans. It's also a great way to diversify your revenue streams. But as someone who self-published and distributed one of my own books, I can tell you it's a huge pain. That's where Lulu comes in. Instead of having to figure out how to print, sell, and ship your book by yourself, let Lulu help. Lulu's e-commerce plugins allow you to sell books directly to your fans from your site, while they handle all of the printing and shipping. You keep creative control, customer data, and 100% of your profits. Create a free account today at lulu.com. And thanks so much to Lulu for sponsoring this show. Hey there, I want to tell you about Sensei. Sensei is the original solution for creating and selling online courses with WordPress, and it's back and better than ever. As a course creator with Sensei, you get complete ownership over your content and the freedom to customize as much as you need. Sensei has vastly improved the course creation experience, adding a customizable distraction-free mode, video and lesson progression, powerful reporting, and a full set of interactive content blocks. And those blocks, like flashcards, image hotspots, and interactive videos, can be added to any page or post, not just the courses. The goal of Sensei is to make it effortless for course creators to develop personalized instruction for learners. And while Sensei is free to start, you can save 20% on Sensei Pro, allowing you to charge for courses, drip out content, manage groups and cohorts, and leverage new AI tools. Just go to howibuilt.it slash Sensei to have the discount automatically applied. That's howibuilt.it slash S-E-N-S-E-I. Okay, so let's talk about how the flipped classroom was getting abused. Basically, the way my students uh, told me it, it, teachers were just assigning them random YouTube videos uh, and then doing random assignments in class. So they viewed it as a way to make their work easier, not enhance the learning experience for the students. And this is wild to me, right? Because 
first of all, unless there are, you know, I guess there's there's sites like Khan Academy. Some universities and high schools have access to LinkedIn learning courses for free. But how can you tailor an experience to the students in front of you while also kind of using someone else's content? And I get that, like, you're using a textbook in some classes, but you're still presenting it in a way that makes most sense to the students. And I'll give you an example of this, right? There was a, there was a master's, like a graduate course I was teaching uh, for the MBA program about PHP, well, about database management. And so I just used PHP as the, the language. And it was like a little bit web development. And one of the prerequisites for the course was an HTML course. And so coming into the course... I had planned my whole semester to start with a little primer on HTML and CSS so that students kind of knew the very basics. We would cover that in like the first half hour of the first class and every class was three hours. Um, But every student in the course had been written in to my class, which means that they didn't take the prerequisite. So I had a whole semester plan based on them understanding how websites work, and they didn't. Now, if I had just went on with my plan, the kids would have been so lost. They would have no idea what's going on. So instead, I reworked the entire semester, and I taught them HTML and CSS and how websites work first. And I made the course... About 50 minutes, maybe an hour of lecture, max hour 15. And then I used the rest of the time, which again, this was like a two hour, 45 minute class for them to actually work on stuff with me in the classroom. And, you know, some students didn't care. You know, I caught one kid just like watching the baseball game. And honestly, like if this is like your last semester of grad school and you don't care about what you're I can't make you care. I want to help the students I can help. And right. If it's like a high school kid and they don't care, like, yes, they're probably not going to, but if you've decided to go to grad school and you're, and you don't care about the courses you're taking, I'm not going to stand and deliver in one semester. Right. So anyway, that's a digression. The point being, you're not going to get people totally engaged, even if they're sitting in the classroom with you. Some, kids just will not care, right? So the point being, the flipped classroom is not supposed to make the teacher's life easier. It is supposed to create a better experience for the students. And, you know, there are some reports uh, about effectiveness. Dr. Robert Talbert wrote about this in January 2020. Uh, This was a report that was done for the School Effectiveness and Inequality Initiative at MIT, but the paper was also hosted at the Anberg Institute at Brown University. Point being, there were some pretty big universities uh, and and colleges looking into uh, answering this question. Does a flipped learning environment have a positive, casual effect on student learning? And... This was not peer-reviewed, as as he says, as Dr. Talbert says, uh, and so this may not be the best information, but it's the information that is readily available to us. Uh, and 
the findings were basically it depends on the subject matter, right? So early reports saw positive gains in math, uh, but not economics. And so this makes sense, right? In math, yeah, there's a lot of theory, but the things that you're learning are pretty much settled science and there are concrete examples, right? So you can watch a video, someone explains how to solve an equation and then do a bunch of examples using the same exact method every time to solve that equation. And then in the classroom, the math teacher can give everybody a set of problems and solve them together. This was before it had a name. We did this in my computer science 101 class where actually it was CompSci 134. I don't know what 101 was, uh, but uh, we basically would spend entire classes writing programs on the chalkboard with the professor up front writing things down taking notes on ideas guiding us towards the right answer if we got stuck and so i think that this really works in certain situations but economics right there are a lot of theories and moving parts and like macroeconomics is one thing but microeconomics is a different thing and Lecture probably requires a lot of clarifying questions that aren't solved through doing repetitive problems in the classroom, right? So I think that if you're going to approach flipped classroom, if you teach in the classroom, you need to be mindful of that. Like, am I giving, is the homework like an opinion piece or a research paper? Because that's not going to be a good learning experience, right? Class discussions could be really good, but if you're solving problems or kind of doing accountability work, perhaps a flipped classroom works. And of course, I'm thinking about this because I'm trying to think about how this applies to a cohort-based course model. In last week's episode with Kevon Chung, he talked about how he's flipping his cohort around a little bit. He'll be pre-recording lectures and then building on live calls. Sound familiar? Uh, I think, honestly, a cohort-based course is the perfect vehicle for the flipped classroom. And we've seen more and more of this. I've seen Justin Moore uh, tinker with this with Creator Wizard and Brand Deal Wizard. And we've seen a decline across the – like some cohort-based courses are doing super well. But across the board, cohort-based courses were extremely popular during the pandemic. And as people started to go out, more cohort-based courses – became less popular and i can understand why right i have a lot of work to do i have a lot of running around to do i'm not just stuck at home and having to sit on something live especially in the evenings doesn't necessarily work for me and so again i think the cohort-based course model is perfect for the flipped classroom here's why learners have the expectation of consuming content online so they can do the lecture part ahead of time then they can work as a group on whatever you're learning in the course. So, uh, you know, uh, Kevon's is about building in public. Uh, Justin's is about getting sponsorships, right? So maybe people watch his first video on his rope method for outreach. And then during the cohort, they make a list of people. And Justin can be there and, and they'll say, hey, Justin, I'm having trouble finding this person's contact information. What would you do here? And then that's great. Justin can go through his whole process 
and the person in the cohort can go along with it with him right if if i'm doing a a cohort on podcast growth right i might give them uh, a lecture on the importance of optimizing your title and description for where do you want to rank for and then in the live version the live call i say all right let's work on your title description and artwork and the students would start workshopping new titles hey how would you do this keyword research how do i know what terms to use and then we can go through examples live together so this forces the students to do the work right cuz there's this accountability aspect to it right co-working is is very popular because if you know other people are watching you and with you and and doing work and you're just putzing around on twitter uh you're well you're less likely to putz around on twitter but you're also not working in a silo so you can get this great feedback and say like hey you know when i changed the title of this podcast and added the tagline I sent it to like four or five people, but imagine you're in a cohort with 10, 15 people and you just say, Hey, here's the new title of my podcast or Hey, here's an email I want to send to a brand. Uh, what do you think? Am I missing something? Right? There's a lot of power in that. And so if you're not using the time to lecture and then sending people off to work in a silo again, I think there's a big benefit to that. And so wrapping up here, uh, let's talk about actionable advice and tips for you. First of all, I'd like to try this with a cohort once I'm ready to offer one. I've tried in the past and I just haven't gotten a ton of interest. And so I'm taking my time a little bit more and I'm, I'm not going to rush this, right? But maybe the beginning of the year, I'll do like a launch a mini podcast cohort, right? Or launch a solo podcast cohort where by the end of eight weeks... We spent eight hours working on your show. You watched my lectures or you watched my videos. And then we actually worked on the podcast together. But if you do offer one or you're getting ready to offer one, here's what I think you should do. Structure the cohort to be two hours per week. But only one of those is live. So say, hey, I expect you're going to spend two hours a week on this cohort on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, we are going to meet and work through some of this stuff live. Between each live call, you are going to get approximately an hour-long lecture or an hour-long presentation, however you want to word it, uh, or even like a Notion document that I want you to look over, right? Maybe it's not an hour-long lecture. Maybe it's a half hour, right? Uh this is the thing that you're going to do on your own so that when you come to the live call, you'll be ready and we don't have to recap anything. You'll just know what we're going to work on. So one live hour or 90 minutes, like how, again, however you want to structure it based on the work you're doing. The rest is going to happen through like async communications, right? So you'll lay out the homework, which is the lectures or the presentations that you pre-recorded or the notion templates or whatever that you've created. Uh, and how it relates relates to the actual work you'll be doing on the live call. Then students can work through the presentation, lecture, whatever, asynchronously, ask any clarifying questions. You can spend the first maybe 10 minutes answering questions on the live call. 
Uh, and then you can walk students through the process one more time, answer questions, and get to work. Depending on the size, you can have hot seats, uh, right? If you have like six people, right? Maybe each person gets 15, 10 minutes uh, to uh, talk through what they're working on, right? Maybe you have breakout groups so that it doesn't get like unwieldy and then you can kind of bounce around. But that's what I would recommend. Structure your cohort so that it's two hours per week. Maybe it's a half hour of homework, quote unquote, and 90 minutes live. But I think this is going to allow you uh, to help students actually do the work. And yes, you're going to get students who don't care. You're still going to get people who sign up aspirationally and don't show up. Just like the kid who was watching the baseball game uh, during the lecture, well, that, which is like a really bold move. Whatever. Like, that's fine. Whatever he wanted to do, right? But you're going to overall get more engagement and you're going to kind of force the students to work through the thing so that they have the real results at the end of your cohort. All right. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear uh, my kind of updates on how I'm using Notion and thoughts about my LinkedIn learning course, uh, definitely sign up for How I Built It Pro. You can do that as well as get all of the show notes and everything we talked about over at howibuilt.it slash 332. I will also, with with members, I'll share this planning document because I've been doing like a three-act story sort of thing. So let me know if you figured out what the three acts were. Uh, and again, if you're listening at Apple Podcasts, I'm like so few reviews away from 100 that I would really appreciate a rating and review. Okay, that was too many calls to action. I just broke my own rule. So you know what? I'll link to Apple Podcasts. Just go to howibuilt.it slash 332 howibuilt.it slash 332. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And until next time, get out there and build something.